0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Privacy Paths, the best podcast for insights on data protection, bringing you bite-sized news from privacy laws and business. I'm Helen Orton, correspondent for Privacy Laws and Business Publications and Data Lawyer. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Valerie Taylor about the impact of the UK's exit from the European Union on data law and practice. It's a contentious topic for some and a potential ordeal for many businesses who transfer data across the globe. Now I'm confident that Valerie will help us reduce our misery and share some clarity about the current position and what businesses need to do. So what do we need to do? Well, Valerie started her career at Magic Magic Circle Law Firm has held a number of senior posts advising on privacy issues for many clients and now consults for global law firms amongst other clients. Who better to ask about Brexit and its impact on data protection issues for businesses in the UK? She's going to talk about sharing data outside the UK, doing business. So keep listening for Valerie's tips on how to manage the transition. So, Valerie, thanks so much for being here. How are you and how are you managing at this time that lockdown is easing?
1: Hi, Helena. Thanks for uh, inviting me to have a chat today. Um, I'm doing all right, thank you. Yeah, lockdown is, uh, has been a strange situation, but I'm trying to keep my spirits up by doing as much singing as is possible over Zoom.
0: Excellent. We're all using Zoom. That's fabulous to hear that you're doing singing as well. It's so uplifting. Um, so. I'm aware, we're going to get straight down to it, I'm aware that Brexit negotiations have been hampered by the COVID situation. So where are we at the moment? Could you explain to the listeners what the issues and concerns are? Yes, Brexit
1: somewhat got pushed off the front page, but the negotiations have still been ongoing. And I guess what we do know is that the time for extensions is over. So no more possibilities of extending our transition period. depends on who you talk to I guess about how likely it is that a trade deal will be done but I think there's still a possibility that something will be agreed by the end of this year but that's really about trade in goods and services and it doesn't really impact on data protection and data issues so much so in this period where um, in, in the transition period that we're in the GDPR still applies in the UK and we'll do so until the end of this year end of 2020 uh, so really the data protection situation is unaffected right now. Um, After that, I guess, is when it gets interesting. Um, The UK's version of the GDPR, uh, which is put into force by the UK Data Protection Act of 2018, that will stay hanging around, um, but the UK will become a third country for the purposes of GDPR.
0: Okay, so that means we lose the European GDPR. So will we see much of a change and and could businesses, for example, be fined by the European data protection authorities?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, in a large part, I think businesses won't see much change. Um, UK businesses will be governed directly by the UK legislation and not by the European version of the GDPR Um, and the terms in our UK act will refer to um, UK institutions, if you like, and not European ones. Um, businesses which operate across Europe, though, will find themselves subject to both laws. So they could be subject to the UK Data Protection Act in the UK and in other countries in Europe, they'll be still be directly subject to the GDPR. Um, and I think one of the main impacts that most organizations are concerned about is data transfers and how data can flow freely between the EU and the UK.
0: Right. Now, we know that certain countries have been deemed to have essential equivalence to the laws in Europe um, and therefore have been deemed to be adequate by the European Commission. So that's all about data transfers. Can you tell us about the UK's position here and whether the UK, either now or in the future, will be deemed to be adequate?
1: Well, I think we would like to hope so. Um, The UK government did apply for an adequacy decision um, in March 2020, so March this year, and um, you know they've made that formal request for the UK's laws to be considered by the European Commission. Um, there's no official news yet. Um, some of the comments coming out suggest that the UK's position on access to data in the security services might be a sticking point. Um, in particular, there's been an agreement quite recently between the US and the UK allowing data sharing for um, serious crime. Um, and there's always been a bit of an issue about RIPA, the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act and how much authority that gives to the security services. So in, there's, I guess there's a possibility that um, the European Commission could see this as an opportunity to fix some of the things that have niggled them about uh, the UK's approach to privacy. Um, And I guess depending on which way that goes, it might mean some changes to the UK Data Protection Act or even maybe some other legislation like the security legislation before they would approve um, the UK as an adequate country.
0: Mm, that's interesting. I'm, I'm guessing the European Commission would give th- give the feedback as part of the adequacy assessment. Um, so, so moving on to the practical impact on data transfers, uh, and if I give you a scenario, so I, I'm a global company, my employees, for example, work in Spain, so their data is in Spain. They're managed by managers in the UK, so there is a data transfer. What What will happen in that situation?
1: Yeah, I think that's quite a common setup, isn't it, really, that people these days don't necessarily work in the same country as their managers. And so we could see data flowing in both directions there from the UK to Spain and and back again. Um, Mm. If it's data going from the UK to an an EU country, and I'm using that really as a shorthand for any of the uh, countries in the European economic area. So that's the EU countries plus the three additional ones. those transfers are fine because the uk government considers that countries in the european economic area offer an adequate level of protection for personal data and Mm -hmm. i understand that that that's going to continue to be the case for for a few more years at least so data from uk to to europe is fine um but coming back the other way data from europe to the uk um if we don't have an adequacy decision, and as we know, these things take quite a long time, um, transfers from the EU to the UK would need to have some other mechanism to authorise them. And typically, that would be the standard contractual clauses, maybe other approved contracts or codes of conduct if those things get to, um, get finalised, or even something like binding corporate rules.
0: Mm, okay, or maybe even the privacy shield, I guess we could have a a Europe to UK Privacy Shield, uh, how about that, maybe?
1: Well, that would be interesting. I suppose if, <laughs> if they don't grant adequacy, maybe we'd have to go for uh, for a Privacy Shield alternative.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting to wait and look for that. Um, so given the political and legal position, what practical steps do businesses need to take now in order to plan and prepare for the end of the year?
1: So thinking about your example of the... Um, employees in spain and the manager in the uk um you know there are lots of data flows like that that take place within organizations that operate across borders so looking at the data transfers that you have which come from europe into the uk as i said going going the other way generally should be fine so look at the data flows that go the other direction and in that case you know what do you need to put in place to um, allow that to continue um unimpeded and that might be by by signing up some of the standard contractual clauses, if that's appropriate, Um, and that could even be within an organisation, but certainly from a company to its supplier, perhaps. Um, The UK also does recognise the privacy shield. Um, So that's for data flows going from the UK to the US. But the U.S. companies do have to update their Privacy Shield um, listing to mention the UK separately from the EU. And I think that's one of the sort of minor aspects, if you like, um, or sort of another knock on effect of this is that lots of organisations will have privacy policies and notices where they talk about European data flows or data transfers. But that will no longer include the UK. So you'll have to make sure that you update your policies and notices to refer to the UK and Europe. So we kind of got this you know, double thing going on.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, they're really good practical advice there. So start looking at your data flows and review your policies and any uh, supplies that rely on, on Privacy Shield. Thank you for that. Now, the data protection landscape changes almost weekly, often daily. And um, We've got judge-made law that's having a bigger impact over time. We've got sanctions from regulators, guidance notes from bodies like the European Data Protection Board. Now I imagine there are lots of changes likely to be up and coming, Valerie. What what would you advise our listeners to look out for? So, what else is coming up in relation to international data flows, for example?
1: Well, we've just talked about the standard contractual clauses, and and some of you may remember um, when there was a question about the Privacy Shield um, or the Safe Harbor, I think as it was then in the past. Uh, everyone rushed to put standard contractual clauses in place. And then they were called into question. Now, we've just talked about, you know, putting the contractual clauses in place for your Europe to UK transfers. What we're expecting coming up very soon is a decision uh, on SHREMS 2, which is due on the 16th of July. And that's all about the validity of the standard contractual clauses. Um, So whether they do actually provide an equivalent protection for individuals in Europe where their data is going to third countries. And if they were found to be invalid, then that would blow an enormous hole mm. in international data flows, not just to and from the UK, but everywhere where companies are relying on them. So that's one of the things to keep an eye out for. Um, and I guess going the other way across uh, across the US, there's a possibility that the privacy shield could be challenged again um or maybe because there's sort of i guess the um the way i'm reading it is that there's some suggestion that organizations need to pay additional attention to the laws in the country where the data is going to even if you've got privacy shield or standard contractual clauses um so you know what else are are organizations going to be obliged to do if they want to send their data to the u.s and I i don't know if you have the same view about that helena
0: Mm. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, when when you have to consider the local laws in addition to um, GDPR, for example, you expect uh, GDPR to be everything you need within Europe, but actually there are additional glosses on on local laws, so um, yeah, extra burdens for businesses, really, um, getting local legal advice. And and coming back to the Schrems 2 decision, remember a time when um, Safe Harbour wasn't considered particularly safe. And therefore, everyone started relying from what I remember, everyone started relying on standard contractual clauses. So imagine if we didn't have standard contractual clauses, and nor did we have privacy shield, how would data transfers happen? So there would have to be um, some swift action taken, I think, from the European Commission to enable businesses to continue.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, again, who knows, but you'd like to think that there will be a political will to get something done on the basis that, you know, just can't be allowed to happen that there's mm-hmm. no way for businesses to transfer data globally because that's the way the world works and you know and if it's just not legal to do that then either business will grind to a halt um, or there'll just be a mass um, sort of ignoring of the legal requirements because it'll just carry on you know and, and that that kind of thing can I guess be damaging to the legal framework as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Often the law follows what's actually happening in practice in business, and it's just about putting the barriers around it and putting some frameworks in place. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So, um, so this Brexit story is on the front page of uh, its front page news in the July edition of Privacy Laws and Business Report, which is now out now, hot off the press. Um, what else is newsworthy for the listeners?
1: There are a couple of other areas um, which might be kind of specific to the type of business. But if you provide services or goods across Europe, um, you've got these two two different regimes sitting alongside each other. And although the GDPR and the UK version are pretty you know, similar, um, you may find that you end up um, with two regulators. So if you've got a UK business, you've got the Information Commissioner's Office regulating your activities, and you've also got... A lead authority in the EU for your European um, activities. And um, currently, if the the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, if they're your lead authority, you need to find another one. Uh, So I think that's one of the uh, kind of main uh, steps, which uh, hopefully most businesses are already aware of that. Um, And I guess that raises a a, a question that you um, hinted at earlier, Helena, which is about fines. And there is, I suppose, a, a risk in theory that you could, as an organisation, be fined twice, once in the UK for infringing the UK legislation, and then again in Europe for infringing the G- GDPR. And really, we don't know, I don't think, you know how that is actually going to work in practice. Um, where there are competing regulatory um, systems in the UK, the ICO typically has an agreement with the other regulator that both won't fine at the same time so you'd like to think that if it's an organization that kind of operates you know um generally in the same way but across europe and the uk there would only be one fine um but you know seen with um the fines that have been imposed on google for example that some regulators might want to take that opportunity so you know we that's i think that's an area to kind of keep watching this space to see how that develops
0: yeah absolutely and um What about those organisations who have a European representative, for example? Will anything change there? Uh,
1: Yes, again, in theory, um, if you appointed a representative located in the UK. So say you're uh, an organisation that operates out of the US and you don't have any physical premises in Europe and you appointed a representative in the UK to be your European um, contact point for privacy issues, uh, then you'll have to find a new one in the EU so you would probably end up with two because you have to have a representative under the UK law as well so you need a UK representative for UK matters and then you need a another one in a a European location for your European matters Um, and that might also happen the other way around you know if you'd currently your representative is in France let's say um, you might need to have one in the UK as well Uh, so there's an additional step there for um, companies which are not you know don't have a presence in Europe Although I have to say I'm not entirely sure how many organisations are actually doing that
0: mm. yeah yeah no I, I from my experience I think it's um it's quite a hefty burden being a representative the liability you take on um for the controller the organisation who is doing the processing in Europe um so yeah I, I I my understanding is the same value as well I don't know how many people are actually doing it well, thank you very much is there anything more you'd like to say to the listeners
1: um i think there's a lot to be going on with isn't there i mean there, there are things happening as you say you know developments um, coming up all the time keep an eye on the Schrems decision so we can keep our fingers crossed that the uh, standard contractual clauses aren't going to be undermined um, and otherwise keep assessing those European to UK um, data flows to make sure that you've got everything in place that you need.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Valerie. That's that's really helpful. In fairly uncertain times and fa- fairly uncertain areas, we've learned from Valerie what are the practical steps to think about and the issues to, to look at. So it's really great to speak to you and get your invaluable insight and expertise. Thanks, Thank Valerie. you. Thanks. Thank you. So if you want additional advice on this and any other data protections you might have, please check out the PLMB Data Protection Clinic where you might get a 30-minute session with specialist lawyers, um, me and Valerie. Um, and please go to privacylaws.com and we invite you to subscribe to our PLMB, UK and International Reports. Thanks so much for listening. We'll put links on our social media with details how you can find out more. Find us at, at PrivacyLaws on LinkedIn. Twitter and Facebook, and at privacylaws.com. And do keep listening to our series of Privacy Path podcasts. Thanks, everyone.